Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am your host for today's episode. This week, we're talking about speaking in tongues, a Christian's claim to flame. On this week's episode, you get to hear us talk about our own personal experiences with speaking in tongues, whether it's something we recognize, whether we practice it, but also as we look at the historical aspect. Perhaps there was something going on in history that caused Paul to directly address speaking in tongues only to the church in Corinth. But I'll leave the rest of that for the episode. Coming up on November 26th, at the end of the month, we will be holding our next literary expedition, otherwise known as the ACLE, the Gospel According to TikTok. Who is Jesus? And how do we know that what we read about in the biblical gospels is an accurate portrayal of that Jesus? This may seem like an odd question, but it's connected to many important issues surrounding the Bible. Is the Christianity practiced today the same as the one believed and practiced by the apostles? Join Wes and Steve on Sunday, November 26th for our next round of the AC Literary Expedition, where we will look at select TikTok videos, weigh their claims, and use them as a jumping board for a time of discussion and Q&R about the Bible and early Christianity. You will also have an opportunity to read a Gnostic gospel and see for yourself whether it belongs in the Bible. Again, November 26th at 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, online via Zoom. You can head to apologeticscanada.com slash ACLE for more information. We hope to see you there. Lastly, our Reach Canada giving campaign is in full swing. Thank you so much to everyone who has already donated. This reminder is purely an invitation for those of you who have been blessed by the Ministry of Apologetics Canada and want to see us continue to reach Canada with the gospel. You can do this by heading to apologeticscanada.com slash donate. You can choose to be a monthly donor or give a one-time payment. Entirely up to you. But we also want to say thank you to those who have just been committing to praying. This means a whole lot to us, and we are so grateful for each and every one of you who has chosen to pray with us and partner with us as we continue to give good reasons for people to put their hope and faith in Jesus. But that's all from me. And now for part one of two, Speaking in Tongues, A Christian's Claim to Flame. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and we are back to a certain degree. I mean, I think it's been a while since the three of any of us have uh, have gotten on here. I'm here today with Wes and Andy. Gentlemen, welcome back to the AC Podcast. Good to be here, Troy. It's been, it actually does feel like it's been a long time. We have been going 100 miles an hour, or sorry, it's Canada. We've been going 100 kilometers an hour, maybe faster, with AC <laughs> for quite some time. We've been all over the place. It's been madness, but it's been a good madness. Yes. We have been all together in person, which is more unique than being all together mm-hmm. in podcast land. It's true. I think we've we've done a string of interviews and we've done a couple that were post-dated podcasts because it has absolutely been hectic. But as Andy said, in the in the best way, recently over the within quite literally the last two weeks, we had the leadership summit, which again, thank you all the attendees who came there. But this past weekend we were all in Wes's neck of the woods in Ontario, specifically in in Burlington for the AC conference. And it was amazing. Yeah, it went really well. Big shout out to Glad Tidings Church because they went over Mm -hmm. and above in accommodating us and the volunteers were just phenomenal. And Pastor Tim Woodcock, everybody just knocked it out of the park. So we got to give a big shout out to those folks over there and just a big thank you to them for helping us out. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta I, I gotta agree with you there, Wes. That what an amazing church. What a great 
partnership that was. And I don't know about you guys, it just reminded me, like, man, that's the way it should be. It's yep. one of those moments where you're like, oh, that's what the church is like. That's what yeah. that's what it should be like, or that's how we work together. Not to say that you know it doesn't happen, but that was just a great moment where like the body of Christ just came together and was a really wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. I think we all left really encouraged encouraged for uh, for a number of reasons. There were some great conversations, and it was really cool just meeting meeting people. And again, to the speakers, um, for all the speakers we had, you guys did a phenomenal job. I think to a certain degree, we're mostly well-rested now. I know as soon as I got home, I I passed out on the couch and didn't even remember how I got there. So <laughs> I think we're finally recovered. Yeah, yeah, we're we're getting there and we're looking forward to next year. Mm-hmm. And as well, we're looking forward to the Evangelical Philosophical Society and Evangelical mm-hmm. Theological Society meeting that's coming up here in Texas. If you're going to be out there, come say hi to us. The yep. uh, full AC crew, well, not the full AC crew, but most of us are going to be out there looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Theological Society meetings, there's always interesting topics every year. And I'm sure we'll do another uh, podcast where we'll tell you some of the topics that were addressed. Yeah. But one topic that we've been giving a lot of thought here and have been really looking forward to discussing is the issue of speaking in tongues. This is a question that I have received many times over, over my uh, life as a Christian. And I got to tell you, my Thoughts on it have changed over the years as I've kind of journeyed with regards to what it is. Because I, when my mom first started going to church, brought us to a Baptist church, it was pretty conservative. And so I always thought, you know, speaking in tongues was just one of those parts of the Bible I just didn't read uh, or give much thought to. And kind of thought it was just weird. And full disclosure, I've never spoken in tongues. I don't really have a lot of experience with it, although I've got a couple unique experiences I'll share in a moment. But guys, what about you? What's what's your experience with that uh, church-wise and experience-wise? I mean, I don't have any uh, true firsthand experience other than I have. I've been to some Pentecostal and uh, charismatic services where people have been participating in um, what you would describe as like uh, speaking in tongues or ecstatic speech. But uh, personally, I've never experienced it. Uh, I don't I I grew up in a a kind of a diverse background perspective. I had a grandmother who was a Pentecostal minister, who actually married a a Presbyterian minister, and they both got excommunicated from their denominations for doing it. Um, So it's not like I I don't have that in my background. But uh, I was raised a, a relatively conservative Baptist. And so it's, it just was never in my denominational, um, background. Uh, for me, I was, I was raised non-denom. I was raised in, uh, an inner city ministry and speaking in tongues was always something that I had heard about. Like it was never something that, um, honestly growing up was ever spoken against in any way, shape or form. I think growing up, it was reserved for or it was reserved in the understanding of actually being able to speak a different language or understand like you go to you go to Mexico and you're able to f- fully understand this child or I'm in another country and I'm able to speak the language in a moment of connect or something of that nature it actually wasn't until um I got much older and just in recognition of the 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 church that you know I'm now a part of that I was really being taught the biblical understanding of of 
of speaking in tongues and uh, I think one of the the ways we would kind of classify it is like speaking in tongues and heavenly prayer language and it's something that for myself I I practice I recognize and so it's something for me that didn't growing growing up wasn't so prevalent I, I was always kind of around it but it was never something that I actually had any under level of understanding about no that's a good distinction by the way in that one of the things you'll see both in its practice today and biblically speaking is that there's kind of there's two different types of speaking in tongues. Yeah. There is the speaking in human languages that one does not know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I speak English, for example, and if all of a sudden I you know was preaching in Spanish or whatever, we would say, well, that's that's a type of speaking in tongues. Yeah. But that would just be a human language I didn't know, versus another part of speaking in tongues that. And, and by the way, that aspect of speaking in tongues we see in places like Acts chapter 2 with Pentecost yeah. versus another type of speaking in tongues that you would see in, say, 1 Corinthians versus chapters 12 to 14, which is in an angelic tongue, yeah. which from like a, an ancient perspective and in maybe, you know, even modern, how we would see that is animals have their own language, you know, birds have their way of talking, humans have their way of speaking, and angelic figures would have their own way of speaking or their own language sort of idea. And so that's that's one aspect of speaking in tongues then, or you would say these two different aspects of speaking in tongues. But a big question that exists in the church and that gets debated quite a bit is whether or not those gifts, uh, the gift of tongues, both forms of those still exist today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think for good reason, there's a lot of, I don't want to necessarily say tension, but there is a, an apprehension around it because, I mean, like, like anything, what may feel like a lack of one, on one end understanding or two lack of like biblical explanation, I think there's, there's definitely room for a person to look at that and be like, uh, I don't know. And I think historically, as we've seen in the church, when it comes to speaking in tongues, it has been pointed towards, you know, this is what Pentecostals do. And I think that's one of the big reasons why, as personally, I, I get so frustrated with labels sometimes, because when someone would say, hey, are you Pentecostal? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Because when people hear that term, they think of, in a lot of situations, their worst connection to that denomination. I, I can appreciate that, uh, to Troy, because oftentimes, too, what you find is that there's like there's a lot of misunderstanding and projections of the way certain types of people uh, must be. For example, one that kind of was a paradigm explosion for me is uh, J.P. Moreland, who I really respect as a theologian and as a philosopher, is quite charismatic. And there is that idea that kind of exists that oh, if you're more on the charismatic side, you must not be very intelligent. You must mm-hmm. you must just think with your heart, sort of idea. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a reality to this conversation of the fact that there are passages in Scripture that are unclear or more unclear than other passages. And that's not to downgrade the clarity of Scripture, but but that like what's clear is clear, but there are genuine things that I think we have to wrestle through. And I think yeah. this is one of them, granting as someone who uh, has a pretty what I think is a firm position on this topic. I think if you read, you know, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians, 
But um, I think what Paul has in mind when he addresses the question to the Corinthians of, of tongues is at best up for interpretation. Like, and I think that's okay. I think we can differ in perspectives where there is some kind of ambiguity there, and that doesn't affect our understanding of the clarity or inspiration or authority of Scripture. Yeah, I, agree. I think that's true, Wes. And, and this is an actually an important idea because oftentimes the church will point our finger at culture, be like. Culture needs to know how to hold the truth and love people at the same time. And, you know, that we can disagree and it's okay. Sort of things like, yeah, that's right. But can we practice that as a church? (laughs) Well, in certainty, there is certainty on certain things. I think there's certainty on the issue of what salvation entails, what Jesus' sacrifice uh, did for us. There is certainty on that. But that doesn't mean that everything in Scripture is equal in its certainty. There are some things in both the Old and New Testaments where— you know, there's a reason we have a few hundred page commentaries on them, um, because th- what's clear is clear and what's not is not always as clear. Uh, and so we have to use interpretive lenses and and that's OK. I, I yeah. think one of the fears that a lot of people have, myself included, and you see in Scripture with Paul dealing with the church in Corinth is when things go off the rail. And it just gets chaotic. And so before we get into like the historical context of speaking in tongues and we get into what Paul has to say about it, I just want to share a brief little story with you guys of one of my experiences with speaking in tongues that honestly took a lot of work for me to kind of work through and to reevaluate, you know, where am I on this whole thing? Because I think if I were to be honest, I would probably have said that I thought tongues had ceased uh, early on. Now, Wes, why don't, why don't you just distinguish first, before I get in my story, there's kind of two positions on this, two terms that people hold to uh, with kind of taking a position. Yeah, I mean, the overarching concepts that if we're going to put people in, in boxes in, in terms of this conversation is uh, the terms cessationist and continuationist. And so these have to do with miraculous gifts of the Spirit. So that's including prophecy, tongues, healing and miracles, those type of things. So the spiritual sign gifts. So we're not talking about the fruit of the spirit. I think we can all agree that the those things are, you know, the natural position of every believer. But there have been disagreements really over the last 2000 years on whether the spiritual sign gifts were for specific time and specific place, or whether they continue, literally, did they cease cessation in terms of their normative function? Or have they continued on into like the era throughout the whole church? And so I would say that I once would have held more to the cessationist position that I would have said it had ceased. But interestingly enough, as we get into this podcast, my position changed on that. And I held more to a continuationist perspective, but as we'll get into, you'll see that my perspective on this is is um, perhaps a little more unique than that uh, with regards to appreciating this from a historical context and asking some bigger questions that often don't get discussed. Also, just as a kind of an addendum, addendum, addendum to that, man, I'm having trouble <laughs> with words. Clearly the conference just, took just a more of a toll. Easy I know, I know, right? <laughs> As an add-on, gosh. There you um, go. <laughs> I, I, it's also important to keep in mind that even some of these labels have have a spectrum to them. So exactly. you do have, yeah, like, do. there are particular groups. They're like, I don't know if you want to call them the John MacArthur cessationists, that would be very hard-lined on particular things in regards right. to the spiritual sign gifts. Um, yeah. I would identify as a cessationist, and I'm not 
over in that camp. I'm not at, mm-hmm. over where John MacArthur is, but I I do believe, and this is even kind of nuanced because for those who know my own testimony, I do believe I I was healed, that I experienced a miraculous healing, and so there's kind of a, a nuanced perspective in that I get some people who they often. Uh, express surprise when I describe myself as a stationist, because I think they have kind of put those two categories of people in boxes. Well, this is good. Uh, this is one of those rare podcasts where there isn't agreement. Uh, but I'm sure <laughs> as we get closer to the end, we'll find out that we're probably more in agreement than disagreement. But maybe maybe we'll have a real good disagreement here. We'll see. But let me tell this story without any, any delay. So I have, as a, you know, those of you who know, I've, I've pastored for many, many years, and I have been a part of a lot of missionary work around the world. And that from, from South America, Central America, South America, Asia, and one, one, this story comes out of some work I did for many, many years in Central America in Guatemala. I spent nine years going down there and doing work with helping with uh, children's ministry, but particularly this story was about a, a church planter in Guatemala that we came alongside and for many years partnered with him in his church plant that started in his home and watched and, and helped as that church grew and grew to the place that it was time to take that church plant out of this home and to acquire a church building. And so I had worked with this church for for many many years. They had acquired this building. It has been about a year's time. In the summer, I, uh, you know, I've taken a team there over and over again in the summers. Then that winter, I was there with an elder and from my church, and we were doing like a commissioning service and just celebrating God of what all had taken place with this church and being able to get this land and being able to minister in this community. And then six months later, and this is this is kind of critical to the story. So I was there in January. Six months later, I'm taking a team to Guatemala in the summer. And so I've got this big group of Canadians ready to serve and continue to help with this church plant that we'd been doing for years. And everything had changed. This was a completely different church and completely different experience. I, I was already kind of getting some weird vibes from the pastor that this was not going to be a normal church service like I had seen for the last nine years. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, uh, as things progress, it gets more and more unruly, if you will. I'm not even sure the right kind of words to put it. Very, very extreme, charismatic, perhaps you could say, to the point mm-hmm. that people are not only speaking in tongues, but they are throwing themselves on the ground and they are shaking in rolling around on the ground. People are grabbing blankets to throw over people while they're on the ground, and they're moaning and screaming. And it is no exaggeration to say that it was extreme. Mm-hmm. It was extreme. And and the vast majority of the entire church is doing this, except for the pastor, which was interesting. And at the end, I was like, I was talking with this pastor. I'm like, oh my goodness, what was that all about? I didn't see that coming. And he proceeds to tell me a story about uh, um, an evangelist that comes through the town, came to their church and explained to them that they had not received, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit and that they weren't, you know, true Christians and that they, that this is the, this is the sign 
of what it really means to be a Christian? I think the first thing I'll say about this is like that is the that is the experience of so many people whenever the this con this conversation of tongues comes up or whenever you think of Pentecostal, that is often the way the experience of someone who's like, I'm I'm not that has gone. And I think the first thing that I'll say is the Holy Spirit has order. Even when, you know, you look in Acts when the tongues of fire, it fell on them, there was an there was an order. Now, people that were not in the house, they they looked at them and like, they must be drunk in the middle of the day. But there was still someone who was able to respond to them in the midst of that and say, hey, no, we're, we're, we're not. <laughs> Everything's fine. And, and so I will, I will definitely say that there's, there are times and places in those moments where the pastor doesn't seem to have any form of order in the, in the church, because quite literally, whether you're in a Pentecostal church or you're in another church, if some random person comes running in, the first person to be able to address some of those things is oftentimes the pastor because he can see, right? And so I'll say the Holy Spirit has order. And then the second thing is without explanation, you're leaving room for division. You're leaving room for, for confusion. And whether it's a Pentecostal church or another church, that's just not going to fly because that's where offense happens. That's where abuse can happen. And you have people who have, you know, they don't have, they don't have an understanding of, first of all, that story that you got to have. So you have an understanding of like, okay, I get that portion. But when there's been no explanation for those that might be guests and visiting, it's like you have completely blanketed over them and just hope that they'll just catch it. And there needs to be some form of explanation. I really appreciate that being said from someone who's not me. Because I think... <laughs> Without being typecasted as the the you know dusty old conservative um, Calvinist here, uh, because I I do I do have a hesitation, a strong hesitation with those kind of things, especially because I've lived in countries and observed other religious, I don't know if you call them ceremonies or whatever that almost mirror those type of ecstatic experiences to the T for sure. And, and sure. I, I think there's something to say about the fact that exactly what you said, Troy, to the, to the words, that the Holy Spirit brings clarity, not confusion in every instance we see both in the Old and New Testaments. And um, that I, I, have, I have a kind of a strong wariness about things that I've seen within Hinduism, within Islam, and within Buddhism. I'm experienced personally where the, a very similar type of loss of control happens. And I don't know what it is. I think it very well might be uh, just getting caught up in the moment. I think that, you know, we can lead ourselves emotionally into all sorts of things. Uh, I sure. think in certain instances, it, it can be demonic. I'm not saying that the church experiences are necessarily that, but, but I think it can be that. And so I appreciate that being said. Well, one of the things I talked to that pastor about, because one of the things that was just immediately pressing on my heart is the gospel. Um, um, and, and it's interesting because the Apostle Paul has a similar rebuke for the church in Corinth that is going off the rails with regards to speaking in tongues and and in other ways with the way they're participating in communion and other stuff. And and he's he's really challenging them, particularly when it comes to the gospel, going, man, if people come into your midst, are, are they getting the gospel or are they just getting a bunch of crazy people? And yeah. th honestly, this was one of the things that I challenged this pastor with, because I was like, man, the yeah. amount of screaming and moaning coming out of this church through what I saw that was over the top. Uh, I mm -hmm. thought, 
How is that ministering to your community? I would be terrified to come in to this building from 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 the chaos that that I had witnessed sort of idea. But it's interesting because you see Paul giving a very similar rebuke to this church and saying uh, very much along the lines of what you're talking about there, Troy, the spirit brings clarity, you know, not confusion and division. Now, there is a lot that we could say about this topic. And uh, Troy, you wanted to say something there before we move on? Well, I was just going to say, I think we have made so much of many, many of the spiritual things we have cre- we've created a distance and a gap for people that I honestly believe has caused people to not fully recognize the Holy Spirit for who he is, mm. like truly who he is. And I say who he is because the way he's described in certain circles is that it's a feeling, mm. it's an emotion. Mm. And no, that's not it. That's, that is your emotion. The Holy Spirit is a, is a person. That in of itself should shift the way that we look at spiritual gifts. Because if this is still... God and is still Jesus, you know, as we're not going to get into all of that, but we have to recognize that he is directly involved in what's happening. He's not just a sensation that falls. And then now we get to just, it's okay. Cause the Holy spirit's moving. It's like, well, if he's moving, then he's bouncing off the walls going crazy. Right. There's also a level of, of, of care because the Holy spirit cares about the evangelistic approach of whatever is happening in that in that space. Now, what I'm not saying is that deliverance can't happen. I have seen people manifest, like I've seen demonic manifestation in people. That is an absolute reality. But when the Holy, if the Holy Spirit is present, and he actually is the the governing authority in those moments, that person manifesting is not going to go out of control, because they're at, you're actually arrested by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, just so we're clear, I can already tell that this is going to be a, a, a two-parter, okay? There, there's, a lot, there's a lot that needs to be covered here, and we're kind of yeah. getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I want to just press pause on this part of the conversation, and we'll come back to it. But I want to actually go back and first give some context to what we're talking about here, because uh, one thing that does make me very concerned is when I see this happening, and this is a big issue right now around the world, particularly in Central South America, where you will have these kind of preachers come in and say, oh, man, you're not really a Christian unless you're doing this, that, and the other thing. And they want to try to, you know, put Christianity through that charismatic lens sort of idea. Now, interestingly enough, I've moved in my position because I I actually see this issue a little bit differently that I kind of want to get into now. Because, and, and, and this is something that I think is really interesting that we first have to ask. Okay, before we get into the, the context that Paul finds himself in, let's just look at the biblical context. Mm-hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, where did speaking in tongues come from? Do we see it in the Old Testament? Uh, I would say no, uh, we don't see it in the Old Testament. Particularly, we don't see what we find in, in 1 Corinthians in the Old Testament. But also, yeah. do we find it in any of the other churches Paul's writing to? So this is kind of ironic, right? Where you have people like, man, you're not a real church or you're not really a Christian unless you got the Holy Spirit. And you're like, okay, well, what about the church in Colossae and Ephesus? And, you know, because Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't mention anything about speaking yeah. in the tongues or the stuff that he's challenging the church in Corinth on. So yeah. that, that in of itself makes me raise a lot of questions going, okay, what's going on here in the church in Corinth? that does not appear to be going on in the other churches. Now, here's where we're going to get into some 
cultural background and I'm I'm open for your guys's thoughts on this, okay? But this is something I've been doing a lot of research on and a lot of thinking on for quite some time. And I the the thought hit me for the first time when I went to Corinth. I'm not sure if you guys have been to Greece or have kind of travel around in that in that area, but Corinth, I would argue, was uh, you know this was a, a significant port city, but we often don't realize that Corinth was next to the city in the ancient world, like in the ancient world, the one of the most famous cities and the most famous person in the ancient world was just across the Corinthian Gulf, and that is Delphi. So when I when, so when I was traveling around in Corinth, and my wife and I went through Delphi, and you begin to hear about the oracle in Delphi, all of a sudden I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And, and this this is shocking. That I, I just have a hard time even wrap my mind around this, but this oracle was in operation for a thousand years, from 700 years before Jesus to 400 years after uh, Jesus. So over over a thousand years, and yeah. as you can imagine, you know Delphi was a significant city as the seat of this oracle in which different rulers and different people would come for wisdom and they you know mm-hmm. they would come for various various like reasons so you know should i go try conquering so and so you know and the oracle would be like yes or no but more than that you get this idea of what spiritual practice looked like in that area with regards to the oracle because what you see with the oracle is that the oracle would make these pronouncements uh, once a month. And she would do so by preparing herself in this ritual bath. She would uh, sacrifice a goat. And then she would go into this underground chamber under this temple of Apollo so that the this god Apollo, which was the god of various things, the god of truth, the god of prophecy, the god of poetry, that this this god would come into her, like th- this God would possess her. And then, uh, and by the way, they saw this is where Apollo would hang out, this temple area, because there was this bigger myth about how Apollo killed this uh, this python, this snake, in which is where the actually the oracle gets her name from, uh, Pythian. And that and by the way, one of the reasons why I think this myth is told the way it was, because there was a smell that came from this area. And most likely what, what, and this is kind of a bigger conversation, I don't want to get caught up in the details, but archaeologists believe that there was uh, volcanic fumes that would come from this area, and thus they built a temple around it, and it takes on this uh, kind of myth of a, of a snake has been, has been killed here, and its, its corpse is like, that's the smell that's coming up. So that then this oracle goes under the temple, sits on this tripod uh, over the fumes, and in that goes into these trances and begins to speak these different prophecies. Mm. Have you guys heard about about uh, the the oracle? Um, what's interesting is I, I have heard of the oracle. 
um, it, you you're gonna laugh at the reason I've heard about it is is literally is it through. It's a movie and a game <laughs> called Assassin's Creed, <laughs> and and it and it really takes you through the timeline of like Greek history and mythology and that kind of thing. But anyways, um, actually there is a um, especially within the again what people call the Pentecostal circles is something that people would say is when a, there are certain people that carry like this this spirit of Python in a negative sense. Right. And so it's really interesting hearing the historical component of that, because this spirit of Python is of someone who is very may have messed around in the occult and they have just this way about them that is very, uh, you know, I'm, as someone who's been in the occult, there's a lot of demonic kind of well, behavior and that kind of thing. So it's really interesting to hear that. Well, let me speak to that, Troy, because you might find this interesting. I think sometimes we wonder where did we get some of the imagery that still sticks with us to this day of what it looks like to be possessed, like demonically yeah. or by the occult. And we actually get that from the Oracle. So yeah, just to put this into historical context, we don't know a ton about the Oracle, which is really odd, given that she was in operation for over a thousand years. But we do have some. We have people like Plutarch, who was actually a priest at Delphi. And he's the one who tells us about the smell and about where, you know, where she goes to get these, um, uh, you know, where where the kind of part of the process takes place. So we get that. But then there's this other guy uh, writing at the time of uh, of Paul. So this is this is like within uh, the year 3965, uh, he's writing and his name is uh, Lucian. Uh, and he gives us this description of what it's like when the Oracle gives her prophecy. Okay. So check this out and tell me this doesn't just scream modern day uh, horror movies, <laughs> but he says he, that is Apollo forced his way into her body, driving out her former thoughts. Frantically, she carries about the cave with her neck under possession, the fillets and, and garlands of Apollo dislodged by her bristling hair. She whirls with tossing head through the void space of the temple. She scatters the tripods in the impede her, uh, that sorry, that impede her from random course. She boils over with fierce file, fire while enduring the wrath of Phoebus, Phoebus, with the wrath of Phoebus, first the wild frenzy uh, overflowed through her foaming lips. She groaned and uttered loud, inarticulate cries with panting breath. Next, a dismal wailing filled the vast cave, and at last, when she was mastered, came the sound of articulate speech. Yeah, it's pretty intense. <laughs> pretty, yeah, a little wild, little, little wild. <laughs> now. What we also read by different authors, and this is significant to note, by the way, that people like uh, Aristotle and Plato, this, this oracle was super famous. They, they all would reference her and thought highly of, of her. But Plato tells us something interesting about the oracle, that the oracle would be filled with this god and then give these utterances, but then there would be her prophecy, but then there would be an interpreter, Plato tells us. And this interpreter would then explain her prophecy. Now, mm. I did a lot of research into this, and I read a lot of books on this subject, and I just want to make it really clear that there is no consensus about what this looked like. 
was she mm. speaking in an angelic tongue of a god and needed an interpreter like how much does it does it is or how similar is it to what we find in first corinthians that is hotly debated okay i just want to explain right now that is hotly debated and i'm not trying to settle that debate all i'm trying to say is i think it would be naive to not appreciate that the oracle a stone's throw from corinth and the amount of it's more than a stone's throw but that oracle and how famous she was that that would uh, clearly influence the spiritual practice of that that time and in that place and the way that they understood what it meant to be spiritual. For sure. I think I don't think that should surprise people or even concern people. When I think back to Old Testament and Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son, like the the people in the that that area that like child sacrifice was actually relatively normal. Like it was actually normal outside of, you know, what we would call the Christian context. So why, when people are kind of seeing like, well, why didn't Abraham freak out? Why didn't he? Well, it's actually for that time, while, though pagan, as we would call it, it was relatively normal, but you see God shift it. Mm-hmm. You see God completely change it for his means for the sake of relationship with him. So I just want to add that for people to understand, like, don't, don't panic and freak out. I think that's exactly right, Troy. God will use what's, what people understand. And I think that's important, but he'll expand it, you you know, change it or expand it to his good purposes to explain uh, truth. Yeah. Can I, can I provide some devil's advocate? Oh, of course. So I figured as much. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's an interesting hypothesis. I, I don't know if I'm fully convinced that it's necessarily in the purview of the Corinthian. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for listening to part one of part two of Speaking in Tongues, The Christian's Claim to Flame. Tune in next week as we get into part two and finish up this conversation. And until then, you know the drill. Love God. Love people. Bye for now. It's the AD Podcast.